How many of you guys just want to get into them? Well, our family uh, spent several years in the great state of Texas. Anybody from Texas here? Okay, all right. But we lived in Amarillo. Now, Amarillo is one of those places that a lot of people have been through. So that's kind of what's claimed to fame is no one actually stops there, but you go through Amarillo. Now, Amarillo is known for just a few things. Uh, If you've seen the movie Cars, you might have seen some of the stuff that Amarillo is known for. But one of the things that Amarillo is most known for is a restaurant called The Big Texan. Have you guys heard of this place? Anybody been there? Okay. All right. At the Big Texan, there's a challenge. They have a steak that's 72 ounces. All right. And this steak is free to anyone who within one hour can eat the entire meal. That consists of the steak, uh, the fixings, a bread roll with butter, baked potato, shrimp cocktail, and a side salad. If you eat all that, it's free. Otherwise, it's $72. See a picture here with this is kind of what you got to eat all of that. All right. How many of you guys are super excited? Yeah. Has anyone done this? Anybody that's been there? Has anybody done the 72-ounce challenge? Okay. Anybody not want to admit it? But you... I know somebody who has, uh, who did this, and I, I was really surprised. But the world record for this 72-ounce challenge, according to their Facebook page, is set at 4 minutes and 18 seconds. No, I know. It's amazing. Uh, there is video to prove it. You can Google it later on if you want to. Don't do it right now. Can we be paying attention? Uh, but it's, it's a sight to behold. Now, you would think maybe that the person who did this is this giant man. But this is a picture of the petite woman, Molly Shiler, who has done this. She holds the world record four minutes and 18 seconds, all 72 ounces and the fixings. It is amazing, right? How many of you guys are really hungry now? All right. Well, we are in the fifth week of our series looking at the seven deadly sins. And we've been spending the last few weeks looking at these vices that often take over our lives. Uh, and we've seen so far the, the sin of pride and anger and lust and sloth. And uh, this week, you're going to maybe guess what we're going to in a minute. But see, these sins are often connected. And we've kind of seen how these play into each other. And today, we're going to look at two sins. If you haven't guessed it by now, the first deadly sin we're going to look at this morning is gluttony. But we're also going to look at its evil twin cousin, greed. And yes, we've combined both of these this week on purpose. Can anybody maybe guess why? As you know, this week is by far the most gluttonous of all holidays, right? Thanksgiving. And because this is a two-for-one special on our seven deadly sins, we follow up Thanksgiving with another amazing holiday just one day later, Black Friday. So we're going to be looking at gluttony and greed this morning. I had a few of you ask me this week which sin we were looking at, and when I told them, here's the response I got. And I think I get why. Yes, it's Thanksgiving, and yes, it's the biggest shopping day of the year, but I think that this sin in particular is tough for many of us, because unlike a lot of the other sins that we've been looking at, this one is often visible in our lives, isn't it? Some of us might actually feel called out by the sin of gluttony. Last week, I showed you a picture of an iceberg, if you remember this last week, and we saw that most of us are concerned with the sins that are above the waterline. These are the things that we see in each other and around us. 
But Jesus is more concerned with the things going on below the surface. He's always digging in deeper to see what's really going on in our hearts. And while the sin of gluttony is no different, uh, I want to make one thing clear. That gluttony is not a sin that is determined by your weight. Okay, let's just get that out here this morning. There are lots of reasons why people may be overweight or struggle with their weight. Someone struggling with this sin doesn't necessarily mean that you can, or someone struggling with their weight doesn't necessarily mean that they can't get a handle on gluttony. There are all sorts of reasons why that might exist. But when we think of someone who's often a glutton, we might think of somebody like this, one of the most famous cartoon characters of all time, right? Homer Simpson. Now, Homer is just an amazing example of both gluttony and greed, and not because he's larger, okay? But Homer lives in overindulgence to everything, if you've ever seen The Simpsons, from sleep to beer to food to entertainment, he's a glutton. But here's a picture of someone else who also struggles with gluttony. I don't know if you can pick out the guy in the little plaid shirt there that has the interesting thing going on with the neck pose. That's me. (laughs) In college. Uh, There's not a lot of pictures of me in my college years, but this is one in particular. And in this picture, I I don't know what the guy next to me is doing, by the way, with the hat. But uh, So you might not be able to tell from this picture, but I am a whopping 112 pounds here. Same height as I am now. Uh, Now, you probably can't tell because I'm wearing a triple extra large shirt, which is what I often wore uh, to cover up because I was incredibly self-conscious and insecure about my body. But I, in this right here, is a picture of someone who was a glutton. When it came to food, especially, I overindulged in everything. Now, my best friend, not pictured in here, but it was a really large guy. I'm talking several hundred pounds. Uh, And he was a big guy, and I would usually out-eat him. I was actually a human garbage can. (laughs) The stuff that I would eat and put into my body. Uh, All of it was bad. I had never had anything green, I think, until I got married. (laughs) Actually, I had a nickname in college, and it was Tapeworm Boy. Now, I don't need to show you a picture of me now for you to be able to see what's in front of you is not 115 pounds anymore. For years, I actually was a much healthier weight. And I've talked with with us before about how I've gained almost 20 pounds in the year that I've been here. I'm getting better. But it's not shocking to anyone that I struggle with the sin of gluttony. See, it isn't about whether you're skinny or whether you're overweight. A while back, one of you came up to me and said, oh, don't worry, all of our preachers have eaten too much. (laughs) And I'm not sure if that's supposed to make me feel better or worse. (laughs) But according to the CDC, 42% of all Americans are, American adults are considered obese. That's one in three. An estimated annual medical cost of obesity for adults is $1,861 higher than people who are not overweight. Here's the really startling statistic. Over 20% of American children are obese. And that number is just growing every year. But see, the sin of gluttony isn't just a problem with your weight. 
And it's not even just a problem with food, although that is part of the problem. We're going to talk a little bit about that. It's really a problem with our hearts, the things going on below the surface. We might think of it just as a problem with eating, but gluttony affects more than just our waistline. Gluttony can be seen in your bank account. Gluttony can be seen in your garage. Gluttony can be seen in your closet. How you spend your evenings in front of the TV and in your storage unit. Nearly 10% of all American people rent a storage facility. According to some statistics, one in 11 Americans pay an average of $91.14 a month on self-storage. Finding a place to put all the stuff that doesn't fit in their American dream house. All of the extra things. The storage uh, industry in America is a $38 billion industry. Now, in 1984, there was about 6,600 self-storage units in this country. As of two years ago, there are over 50,000. And when they add up all the combined storage space that we Americans use, I'm not talking about the garages in your home. I'm talking about extra buildings that are used. It totals 2.3 billion square feet of storage. See, gluttony is more than just overeating. And while we might be quick to notice that amongst each other sometimes, it sneaks in in rather unsuspecting ways. Now, I love Bibles. How many of you guys love the Word of God? Yeah, amen, yeah. And I don't mean just, just the Word of God. I mean, I actually love Bibles, the physical Bible. And you might be wondering what is going on with this table here with something covering it up. This, these are, are my Bibles. Now, these aren't all my Bibles. These are just the Bibles that I have acquired in the last two years. Oh. But I love Bibles. I mean, what can be wrong with this? The beautiful smell of the leather. There's just something about a new Bible, right? And all of these serve a different purpose. They're different translations. Uh, they have different fonts. I love fonts. That's a big deal for me. I love layouts and all the helps that are in here. So what could possibly be wrong with this? This is God's word. I actually should be proud. Look at how much your pastor loves the Bible. <laughs> but this is gluttonous. This is over the top. And yes, many of them uh, were acquired as gifts. And, and like I said, this isn't actually all of them. Not even all that I've acquired in the last two years. I've already given some away or, or gotten rid of some. But it's a problem. It's a problem. See, gluttony manifests itself in so many different ways. The definition of gluttony is actually this overindulgence, habitual greed, excess, and especially, as we know it, excess eating. Gluttony says one word more often than anything else, and that's this word, more. More. I need more. One wasn't enough. Two wasn't enough. I need more. That's what gluttony tells us. Gluttony says, I need more. I need better. I need faster. I need new. I need updated. I need better fonts. Yes, gluttony is excessive eating, but gluttony is excess anything. And it is killing us. Gluttony is actually poisoning us, literally. 
When someone consumes too much alcohol, what do we say that's happening to them? They have alcohol poisoning. Yes, they've gotten more. They've taken so much of this within them that it's poisoning them. Doctors are saying that that youngest generation, and this is actually, they consider it a crisis for us, not just a sensational uh, news headline, but a crisis that American children are actually poisoning themselves with sugar. What about binge watching? This is a phrase that didn't even exist 20 years ago, did it? Of starting something and is going to the next one and watching the next one and watching the next one, all while you're eating some chips or soda or whatever happens. And before you know it, it's 3 a.m. and a whole season has gone by, right? And just like when we keep shoving that food in our mouth, we often, after the first couple bites, we enjoy it and it's fine, but then we don't even begin to taste it anymore. And that same thing happens with binge watching. I mean, you can go through whole seasons and not even remember what the show was about because we're just consuming more and more and more. So what does the Bible say about gluttony? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 20, it says, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even as I weep, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And who are these enemies? He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who have their minds on earthly things. Not people who are walking with the Lord Enemies of God because their God is their stomachs. Proverbs 23, 1 through 3 says, When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. There's a story in Genesis 25 of two brothers. You probably have heard this. We've been at church very long, Jacob and Esau, right? And Esau comes in one day from hunting, and he's tired, and he says the famous words that so many of us uh, utter when we walk through the door, I'm starving, right? We missed a meal. We're starving. How many of you actually have said that before when you come home and dinner's not ready? Yeah, you're starving, right? Esau can't control himself, and he ends up trading his birthright for a stinking bowl of soup, That's gluttony. Now, one could argue that the first case of gluttony is the same place that so many of these other sins came from, from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were tempted by their pride. We saw that. The lust of their eyes, but also the gluttony and greed that were in their hearts. These two people had everything they could ever want available to them. But what did they want? More. Now, why does this matter? So what if we eat a lot? So what if we overindulge in some things? See, gluttony is the same problem, is, or is a problem for the same reason that lust was a problem that we saw last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. We talked about this last week, our body being a temple. And it's not just an analogy, right? It's both literal and figurative. What we do with this matters. What we put into this 
matters. It matters what we spend time consuming, what our bodies do, but also what they take in. And as we saw last week, it's not just about sex or lust or, or eating. Yes, it is overindulging in eating. It's that feeling that you never have enough, that you need more. And that comes from a lack of trust, a lack of trust that God is providing your needs and that he has something greater for you than the things of this world. So when we sit down on the couch and not just have some chips, but we have the whole bag of chips. First Corinthians 10 31 says, therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, talking the behaviors, the things you consume, the food that goes into you, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. While some of us know that gluttony is a problem, we might feel it. We even might feel a little bit of shame because of that. Most of us don't think that greed is our problem. A recent poll in The Economist asked readers what the deadliest sin was. This is a secular magazine. They said, what is the deadliest sin facing America? And greed ranked number one. But in polls across the nation, when people are asked, which of the seven deadly sins do you struggle with the least? The answer is always greed. It's the world's biggest problem, but it must be someone else's problem, right? None of us think that this is our problem because greed blinds us. See, there was a time when these two sins, gluttony and greed, were closely connected. Uh, There were times in history where the people that were the largest were also the wealthiest. And it was a status of how much they had because of how large their bellies were. Large bank accounts, large physical bodies, large properties, lots of land, That was how we symbolized that we had arrived. The greedy were also the most gluttonous. Now, in today's society, it looks a little different. Because often the most greedy are those who pay to not look gluttonous. They have the extra time and and the, the money to be able to buy food that's healthier and personal trainers and all sorts of things. Now, see, Google defines greed this way. If you do a Google search on this, it says it's an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. And the key word here is selfish. It's a selfish desire for something. Greed is always self-centered. And greed, much like gluttony, is never satisfied. I heard someone say that gluttony, it wants more, but greed wants more that's mine. And that's the key word for greed. It's mine. It's not about what I can give to you, how I can be a blessing. It's about what's for me. I mean, what do little kids say whenever you try to take their toy away? Mine, right? They apply mine to all sorts of things that actually aren't theirs. For your parents, it's yours. You paid for it, Right? Or what about those seagulls from Finding Nemo? Do you remember them? Yeah. Mine, 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 mine. This word is just part of who we are. Now, we don't think of ourselves as greedy because most of us, even though we know that according to statistics and the world around us, that we are extremely wealthy, all of us really in this room, 
from the least to those who have the most are, by this world standards are wealthy. But we don't consider ourselves that. And we certainly don't want to say we're greedy. We're saying, no, I want more that's mine. It's about what I need. The Bible has a lot to say about greed, especially when it comes to money. Ephesians chapter 5, 5 says this. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater. That's worshiping something else. Worshiping the things of this world. That's what being greedy is. Someone who's worshiping the things of this world. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. One who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor one who loves abundance and its income. This too is futility. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. That's both literally and figuratively there. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look at them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich person does not allow him to sleep. Every Thursday night in our family, we've kind of adopted this rhythm of ordering pizza. And uh, some things, you know, going on with my body and all that. My body does not appreciate this pizza. Uh, it actually makes me sick. And every night I'm up most of the evening uh, with these stomach problems. But what do I do every Thursday night? <laughs> I eat the pizza. Okay. The verse goes on. It says, there is a sickening evil which I have seen under the sun. Wealth being hoarded by its owner to his detriment. The good things that we desire, they're, they're often not wrong. The good things that we desire are now being used to our detriment. Gluttony and greed blind us to what's really going on. There's a story you might have heard. It's a legend uh, of the, this island that was being overrun by these monkeys that were stealing all the people's coconuts. And, and so what they decided to do, an ingenious person took a rope and tied it to, these, to the coconuts and bore a hole through them and filled them with good things that monkeys like, bananas and different kind of, you know, nuts and different things. But the hole was just big enough to get their hand in. And what would happen is the monkeys would come, they would put their hand in, they would grab what's there, and then they would get stuck because they wouldn't let go of the thing to get their hand out. And so they'd be trapped and removed to their own detriment, the greed that they had in their life. They were unwilling to let go. Jesus has some things to say about greed and gluttony in Luke chapter 12. If you've got that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13 it says, now someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to them, says Jesus he says, you there. Who appointed me a judge or arbiter amongst the two of you? But he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, not just money, every form of greed. For not even when one is affluent, does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? The old version of our storage facilities, right? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. 
relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded from you. And as for all that you've prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich in relation to God. I learned this week as I was uh, preparing for this message about ticks. Now, I didn't grow up in a place where there's lots of ticks. Some of you guys did. And I certainly don't know a lot about them. But they're often considered the overeaters of the insect world, even though I guess they're technically not an insect. But they have what we call the disease of more, right? And so these ticks, they can't even move on their own. They just fall. So they fall on you. And they're these flat little things, nothing, nothing much about them. But they gorge on you, right? Or whatever the host that they're on. And they often grow seven to ten times their normal size, they're changed. They become something different. And here's the fascinating things about these ticks. Once they're bloated, it automatically drops off of the host and it can't move. All of its energy is spent trying to digest everything it has gotten. And what happens in that moment is they're extremely vulnerable to anything. Predators, your foot, whatever it might be. They can't defend themselves because they're so overindulged. They're so consumed with themselves. See, our greed and our gluttony often pull our time, our talents, and our treasures from the things that God has for us, the things that God wants for us to engage in. As we're getting closer to Christmas, we're entering the gift-giving season. And many of you are going to participate in something called a white elephant gift exchange, right? You know, it's when you get a silly or an odd gift and it gets traded around. But the legend is that this whole idea of the white elephant gift came from the king of Siam, which is modern day Thailand. And legend has it that this king, in order to deal with his enemies, would not attack them, but he would send them a gift. And this gift that he would send them is an albino elephant. These elephants were extremely rare and extremely valuable. They were status symbols of their time. And they also required an enormous amount of energy and upkeep. So Siam would send his enemies this elephant, and they would use all of their resources to keep up with this elephant. All the energy and resources, even an emotion, to, to hold up this elephant as a status symbol. And the enemy would lose its focus, and it would lose its resources, and the king would come in and just take care of them. Now, I have no idea if this story is actually true, but it illustrates one of the problems with greed and gluttony. See, Satan is using white elephants in our lives to keep us preoccupied with our toys, with our stomachs, with our bank accounts, with our house projects, whatever it might be. Our time and our resources are consumed with things that we think will bring us status, pleasure, power, whatever. So we buy season tickets to your favorite sports team, but because there's so many games and they're all on Sundays, uh, you end up having to miss church for weeks and weeks on end, and you're pulled away from that spiritual community. Or you buy a summer home on a lake, 
but now you're away from your family because you're trying to just take care of it all the time or, or you have to work more money to be able to pay for your vacation home or it takes you away from the good things that God has for you. Let's say you sign up for a gym membership to get into shape. And that sounds great. You're trying to combat gluttony. But you used to get up every morning and read your Bible and have some time with the Lord. But you can't do that now because you have to work out in order to get to work on time. And so that slips. Or let's say you spend the money and buy a spot for one of your kids in a traveling sports team. And now you're too busy for them to be part of youth group. Those are all good things. But Satan uses them often in our lives as white elephants to trick us into spending our time, our talents, and our treasures in places that don't draw us closer to God, that don't give him glory. Remember the verse, in everything you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for God's glory. So what are the white elephants in your life? Are you spending money on things that take you away from God? See, the money isn't the problem. The activities aren't the problem. The problem is the white elephant gifts that pulled you away from God's honoring pursuits, the plans that he had for you. There's an, uh, an old saying uh, attributed to the notorious B.I.G., Mo money, more problems, right? Some of you guys know that. Some of you have no idea who that is. But see, once we have the house, we have to maintain it. Once we have the car, we have to keep it clean. Once we have the boat, we got to get it out in the water. I was often told that the best thing I could do is to have a best friend who has a swimming pool. Not to own the swimming pool, because it just takes so much energy. It sucks the life out of you. Not picking on people with pools, but... See, greed and gluttony often pull our time, our talents, and our treasures from the things that God has for us. Our struggle with greed and gluttony is ultimately, it's a worship problem. I've already seen that in scripture. It's worshiping things that are of this world. We've put other idols, white elephants, in the place of good, in the place of God. So what do we do about the greed and gluttony that's in our lives? It's not enough to just recognize these sins in our life. We have to do something about it. So what do we do about greed and gluttony? Well, last week we looked at the deadly sin of lust, and we saw that removing the temptation, stopping the behavior, is the first step, but it's only part of the solution. Because remember, our desires aren't all bad. And so in order to properly deal with them, we have to then fill the vacancy that's left by removing that. If we don't, we'll just fill it back up with other things again. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal or for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He goes on, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So even then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. See, the remedy for greed and gluttony is contentment. Contentment is finding satisfaction in the love of God, in what God has done in your life. 
Not the desire for more or more that's mine, but the remedy for greed and gluttony is contentment. Philippians 4 tells us a little bit about contentment. It says, not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. First Timothy, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires would plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, once again, you probably heard this before, not money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So how do you grow in contentment? Or as Paul says, he actually says he learned it. Remember, I've learned to be content. It doesn't happen He had to put something into practice. And here are the ways that we can grow or learn contentment. Gratitude and generosity. Living a life of gratitude, of thanksgiving and generosity. The remedy for this is so similar to what we saw last week. We remove something, but then we have to replace it. Not with more things, not with more experiences, but with gratitude and generosity. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, I instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Proverbs 21, 26 says it so plainly. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. So what are some practical ways, even this week, that you can confront gluttony and greed, that you can grow in gratitude and generosity? Inside your study guide, which is in your bulletin, your growth group, there's a list of some suggestions, but I want to give you a few others. I want you to consider becoming a tither of everything. Now, if you know tithing is giving 10%, the first of what God has blessed you with to others. Often we say we, we, we do tithes and offerings here at the church, but you can tithe to other things as well. And I want you to consider being a tither of everything. Now, this is going to take some planning and preparation. But I think the energy that it takes for us to do this is worth it because it helps us grow our contentment and our gratitude for the things that we have and be generous with the things we have. So what could this look like? You get a bunch of gift cards for the holidays. Take 10% of those and the money that's on them, or maybe you give those cards to someone in need. The gifts that you have, the bonus that you get, the blessings that come our way, not just our paychecks, which is part of tithing, right? We want to be... a 
people here who tithe to the church. But I'm saying, what if we tried to look at tithing of everything we have, our time? Your boss lets you off a little bit early today. How can you give 10% of that to something that's outside of yourself? You can do something for someone else. This week, as we gather with friends and family to celebrate, here's another thing we can do. Take a breath. (laughs) When you're just waiting to grab that fork for the next thing, take a breath. Friday, when you're scrolling the deals or you're getting up at 4 a.m. to grab some super special that you're going to wait in line for, pause and ask yourself, will this item become a white elephant? Even in our gifts that we give others, we can give white elephants to other people, can't we? Remember, everything we consume, it has a cost. Not just the money needed to buy it, but the space and the place that it takes up in our lives and what it takes up in our heart. Are we filling our stomachs, our closets, our houses, our garages, our bank accounts with things that give glory to God? Since it's getting close to Christmas, I'm reminded of the song that Mary, Jesus' mother, praises God with in Luke chapter 1. She says, he has filled the hungry with good things. He wants to give us those good things. So this week, I want you to do something for me. I want you to consider one word. And this is the word that I just want to resonate in your mind over and over again. It's the word enough. Enough. When you reach for that second or third or fourth helping this week at Thanksgiving dinner, enough. When you're about to hit buy it now on that Amazon order, enough. When you pass by that outfit on the mannequin, Enough. When you see that new gun scope, enough. Ooh, I just rubbed some people the wrong way there. I kind of saw the tension build. When you're coming back to that picture over and over again that you posted to see if it's gotten more likes, enough. When you see that new iPhone 15 Pro Max, but you're holding an iPhone 14, enough. Matthew chapter 16, 24. Jesus said this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, loses it? No, finds it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? That's the amazing thing about living as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. When we deny ourselves, when we live not for what we can get, not for what we can consume, not for what we can enjoy, not for what we think will fill us up, but when we ask, is this enough? We don't feel the shame or the guilt of longing for more. We recognize that Jesus is more than enough. Uh, There's a story in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David has been building this temple, preparing to build this temple with his young son Solomon. And they're praising God for the offerings that both David has lavishly brought to the Lord and all the people who have given out of their gratitude and out of their abundance for the Lord. And as we close, I want us to read his prayer that he prays over the people together. 
You're going to see it up here on the screen. You guys read the part that's in yellow. So David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. And David went on and he said these words. He said, but who am I? And who are these people that they should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, O Lord. We've given you only what has come from your hand. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you this temple for your holy name comes from your hand and it belongs to you. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people and keep our hearts loyal to you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for all the good that you have given us, Lord, as we sang, more than enough. Lord, help us to stop saying more and to stop saying mine, but to say and recognize it's all yours. What can I do with what's been given to me to bless others? How can I recognize this week the good that's pouring into my life and can I pour that out to others? Lord, forgive us for the sin of gluttony, not just with food, but with the things that we just consume so that we can fill a vacancy in our lives. Help us, Lord, to realize that that hole can only be filled with you. More of you. That will be more than enough. God, be with us this week. Pray blessings on this congregation, Lord. Help us to grow, to be more like you in everything we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. The church together said...